Well, Billy Ray, it's crazy to meet you uh, IRL, I suppose, even though it's virtual, because I feel like I've had you in my ear for so long as a frequent guest on screen drafts. <laughs> my apologies. My apologies. <laughs> yeah, so with these these new Timothy movies coming out, obviously knowing I'd, I'd have to kind of get the ball rolling on episodes. like, And I hadn't started planning French Dispatch just because not knowing when it was going to come out and not being the biggest Wes Anderson fan, it really wasn't kind of front of mind for me. So I actually reached out to Clay and I was like, hey, like, who should I get for the French Dispatch episode? Like, here are all these people I could reach out to, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, well, you should reach out to Billy Ray. He's a huge Wes Anderson fan. And I'm like, Clay, Billy Ray is so intimidating. I don't want to reach out to Billy Ray to be on the podcast. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, Billy Ray's bark is harder than his bite. It's totally fine. So I'm like, I'm so not intimidating. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, fine. But yeah, would love, I mean, obviously having listened to you a bit on screen drafts and your, your own content, would love to hear a little bit more about kind of your background. And, and is, is Clay correct in saying Wes Anderson is your favorite filmmaker? Oh, yeah. I would say that uh, Wes Anderson is my favorite living filmmaker. Okay. He just barely uh, trumps uh, Steven Spielberg. I'm also a big Spielberg fan. Sure. But yeah, no, I've been a, been a massive Wes Anderson fan since, I, since I guess, Rushmore. Um, I guess that was, you know, I saw that in theaters and just sort of fell in love and then it's kind of just been a love affair ever since with a few bumps along the way. I'm not a I'm not someone who thinks everything Wes Anderson's done has been a masterpiece. There are a couple that I think are pretty rocky. Yeah. But um probably not the ones most people would say, frankly. But for me, they're rocky. Got it. Well, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of that uh as the show goes on, just because we'll be talking about his style and um his 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 very specific creative um perspective. But um also from your appearances on screen drafts, um, just because he kind of comes up in the zeitgeist so much now, being the art house indie boyfriend that he is, and now genuine movie star. I've heard you, I've heard you throw some praises toward toward Mister Mister Chalamet. So, what are your feelings on him um, coming into French Dispatch, and now that you've seen it? So, coming into French Dispatch, I, I mean, I've I've been a Timothy Chalamet fan since day one. Now that said, I'm one of those very competitive people who has to pit people against one another. So for me, it's always been Chalamet or Hedges. Sure. And that's been, you know, the great debate. But I have also like, I actually like to throw Tom Holland in that mix and say Chalamet, Hedges, or Holland. I generally fall on the Tom Holland side of that sort of three-way. Okay. Now that said, I think, I, I, I think in terms of likability and intensity, I think Chalamet has them beat. In terms of like raw talent, I'm still undecided on Chalamet versus Hedges. Still, still undecided. Now that said, so th so I came into it really enjoying him. Like I think he's so good in Little Women. I obviously, call me by your name. Um, I so I I think he's given some really great performances, and so I was very interested to see how he would do in a Wes Anderson film because Wes Anderson is one of those filmmakers. He takes so many different types of actors from so many different decades, and he just kind of it's like a bazaar of, of talent that he just throws together. And you never know necessarily which actors are going to like fit in with his style of filmmaking and which ones are going to maybe fall. Like, you know, when someone like Jeff Goldblum's pops up, he knocks it out of the park. And you're like, well, of course, that makes total sense. But then you've got someone like Harvey Keitel who pops up and you're like, I don't know that Harvey Keitel and Wes Anderson are a match made in heaven. So I didn't quite know how that was going to work. And I will say after seeing the film, I think Timothy Chalamet is really good in the film. I think that's a really appropriate casting for him in that role. 
But it is, it is still, it was still a little unusual to me to see Timothy Chalamet in a Wes Anderson film. It took me a minute to be like, ah, because you've got him going up against Francis McDormand, who of course is, you know, a longtime Wes Anderson performer and very much in tune with his sort of aesthetic and his sort of dry style. And so seeing them together was off-putting, but in a good way. I think it was, it was different than I was expecting, but in a good way. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess I should rewind and go back and do the intro before we get into the episode proper. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering about that. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, I, let, I usually I tried to ask like a nice little like bantery opening question and then realizing I just kind of opened the floor up to the whole uh, context of the podcast. So, you know, it's fine. We'll just do a little mental rewind here and I'll go back and I'll say hello and welcome to Chasing Chalamet, a formerly bi-weekly podcast, now a podcast that comes out if and when we get new Timothy Chalamet content, which we got Dune and French Dispatch on the same weekend. Could not be more excited to be back with you guys. Uh, my name is Dane McDonald. You know me. Confirmed Timothy Chalamet stand. Built my whole brand around him. If he gets canceled, I'm absolutely fucked. Um, and myself and a special guest deep dive into his filmography <laughs> of the Oscar-nominated actor Timothy Hal Chalamet. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about Wes Anderson's 2021 romantic comedy drama anthology, The French Dispatch. We're going to cover our thoughts, our feelings, our critiques, our praise, maybe lack of praise if we have any, uh, whatever we want to say about this movie. Then we're going to discuss Timothy's performance and his role in the film. What function does he serve for the story? Is he cast well? What does his participation in this film bring to the table, especially in the context of his career? Then together, on a scale from one to five peaches, we will together grade the film in different categories. So we're gonna grade the quality of the film, his performance, his general attractiveness, and most importantly, as always, his hair. So now that we've gotten that all out of the way, I'm super excited to introduce today's guest. He is managing director of $3 Bill Cinema, the founder and artistic director of Scripps Gone Wild, and the host of the podcast, Movies with Gravy. Please welcome Billy Ray Bruton. Hi, Billy Ray. Well, howdy doody. How's it going? Doing doing well. How are you? You recently made the move to Seattle, if I'm not mistaken, correct? That is correct. I moved to Seattle in mid-July to run $3 Bill Cinema, which is a big queer film organization there. They put on the Seattle Queer Film Festival and Translations, which is one of the only transgender film festivals in the country. But I come to you now from the... Uh, uh, well, I guess we decided it was the vacation Bible school room of my childhood home in uh, Pisgah, Alabama. So uh, on the other side of the country from Seattle currently. Got it. So you're you're just a, a, a country traveler at this point, huh? 37 hour road trip. Um, do you do any like film scores while you're driving? Any any Wes Anderson favorites that you like to listen to? Um, well, well, I'll say this. I am not someone who listens to film scores. Okay. Uh, I am not a film score person at all. I'm not really, for the most part, an instrumental music person. I'm much more about the lyrics and the stories being told. So, but yes, I, I listen to a lot of Wes Anderson in terms of soundtracks. Sure. Uh, because he is the master of soundtracks as far as I'm concerned. So, particularly, um, you know, despite what people think about it, that Darjeeling limited soundtrack slaps hard. Still does. And so I, I listen to that pretty regularly. And, um, you know, anytime I'm just like, you know what? I want to hear some kinks. Let's listen to some kinks. I'll just throw in a Wes Anderson soundtrack because it's probably, there's a good chance there's going to be some in there. That's interesting you say that because, um, when I think of like directors who are known for creating, and, and I guess that's not even directors. Like I, I actually, I just read this oral history 
um, on the making of Marie Antoinette today because I think it's like the 15th anniversary. And that's known as such a soundtrack movie. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I don't necessarily think of Wes Anderson movies as soundtrack movies, but um, in addition to their scores, I guess they kind of do have that eclectic little mix of, um, and you could speak to it more because obviously um, you've, yeah, seen, yeah. you've seen all his films. And um, I, I, as someone who, you know, and we'll get into this, as someone who's not the biggest Wes Anderson fan, I don't find myself revisiting them a lot. So I don't necessarily think of the soundtracks. I guess the score six more in my mind. Yeah. So you find more of that emotional connection to the, like, the soundtrack of, of the pre-existing songs that exist in the movie. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think he's just so great at choosing the right song for the right moment. And I think back to, like, I think back to, like, Ooh La La, which is the last song you hear in Rushmore. Or the Nico song that you see when Gwyneth Paltrow steps off the bus and Royal Tenenbaums mm-hmm. and like he just he just has this way of finding these really unique songs to make moments pop on screen and he's really done it in every film and he actually does it in French Dispatch with a with actually a sequence involving uh, Timothy Chalamet I think is the, his best use of music in that film yeah he's just I, I I know a lot of people who I mean his scores are obviously great Alexander Desplat is a great you know composer. So he, he, those are great, you know, but this, I just think his soundtracks, I think he and Tarantino to me are similar in a lot of ways in the way they put together soundtrack because they really don't usually go for the, they don't go for the poppy stuff. Like if they were making a war movie, they're not going to put Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival in there. Mm-hmm. Like they're, the, you know, Quentin Tarantino's thinking, oh, what's this obscure Neil Diamond song I can use? And Wes Anderson's thinking like, oh, who's this weird French troubadour that I can work in? And like. That's that's what I like, especially the French stuff, because I am a big fan of French, you know, like French composers and French singers like Jacques Brel and Charles Aznavour. And yeah. And that's obviously very appropriate because um, as the title leads, the, this movie is extremely French, um, which I, it, I think I remember when it was announced, which, God, it must have been 2017 or 2018 at this point. But I remember when a reports about French Dispatch first came out, the original kind of rumor slash description was it was going to be this like 1940s post-world war ii musical set in france and it was like, going to be a love yeah. letter to journalists so everybody was like oh my god wes anderson making a musical this is so great obviously ended up not being a musical but i think anybody hearing the description of a wes anderson movie being post-world war ii france is like yep that's exactly his aesthetic i can totally see how and you know he he sets movies in different times and in different places but always brings that very uniquely Wes Anderson thing to it, but I think this particular setting really lent itself to Wes Anderson-ness. Um, so yeah, it's interesting coming into it. I was, I had a lot of weird emotions because on one hand I'm like, okay, Timothy Chalamet content, love it, gotta see it. I also, even though I don't tend to love Wes Anderson, I do see his, his movies. I've ha- I have a couple blind spots um, as far as like Rushmore, Bottle Rocket, um, never saw Darla Jeering Limited just because the reception was kind of, you know, mixed about it. And I never ended up seeing Isle of Dogs because I just, you know, it didn't yeah. appeal to me as much. But, yeah. I, you know, I've seen the Moonrise Kingdoms. I've seen Grand Budapest. So, you know, I was going to see French Dispatch just to just to know, you know, what it was about and be part of the conversation with it. Obviously, adding Timothy in, I got very excited about that part of it. But going into it and I I. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure I even realized it until the movie started, but I didn't really know it was an anthology. I'm not sure if anybody did. And something that I ended up really enjoying about the movie was the anthology aspect of it, because I think that having seen French Dispatch now, going back and thinking about movies that I was a little less 
keen on like the Grand Budapest Hotel, there was almost kind of um, this extension of his tweeness and his aesthetic that I found grating over time. Whereas with the anthology, I got, we just, there were like starts and stops and there was like, you bounced around the characters. And I know he, he has like these ensemble casts and that's not anything new, but there was something about that like perforation of the movie that I found his, his sensibility to really work for. Did you have that experience watching it? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I did go into it knowing it was an anthology. I didn't know quite what type of anthology it was going to be. So that was a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, well, you know, obviously my, like, Wes Anderson, like, Grand Budapest, you mentioned not being a big fan of. That was a film when I first saw it in theaters. I was like, ugh. Like, I don't think this film works. So I went back and saw it again, and I was like, I still don't think this film works. But then I went back and watched it again, and by, like, the sixth time I watched it, I was like, I think this is one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies. <laughs> and so it really grew on me the more I watched it. Then I, I didn't care for Isle of Dogs. That's one of the two films of his that just doesn't work for me. Moonrise Kingdom is the other. I know a lot of people love Moonrise Kingdom. I'm not one of them. Um, but yeah, I think the, it was interesting. It was interesting seeing what he could do with an anthology and to see, like, I was curious, like, how is he going to differentiate, like, the different segments and, and, and make them pop in their own unique ways? And then I watched the film and I was like, okay, he's not really concerned with making them pop in different ways. Like, he's just applying that aesthetic and that sensibility across the board, and that worked for me. Like, usually I want that differentiation in the anthology, but it actually weirdly worked for me in this. And um, and part of it is that, you know, Wes Anderson, I think, thrives when he's world-building and getting to create his own worlds, and here he's just creating an entire city in France. Like, just making up a city and, like, making all of these, like, these weird things happen there. And, like, I, I thought I thought that was really... I thought that was really interesting, too. And the fact that he uses animation in this, which is, like, really fun, too, because other than, you know, other than his stop-motion work, he hasn't really done a lot of animation, like, actual animation. And so um, that was that was an interesting thing for him to add into the mix, too. But, yeah, it's it's definitely in terms of... It's a very unique anthology. It is unlike any other anthology film I've ever seen. And there are so many tangents in there that keep you on your toes. Like, there are, like there are many anthologies within the anthologies. Like there's a sequence in uh, the Timothy Chalamet piece where like they cut away to this like stage production for like five minutes, mm -hmm. like of this entire stage production. And it's like, wow, that's interesting. Like that's an unusual thing to do, but it worked. And so, yeah, I think, I think this was the type of anthology only Wes Anderson could have made. Yeah. I think his, his, his whimsy really lent to that. Like where, where in, the hands of another filmmaker or another writer, it would be this like jarring weird turn. And I think that, you know, whether, whether it's the, you know, whether it's the world building he does in the individual movies or it's just his general style um, overall or a combination of both. Like, I think anytime there's a bizarre turn in a Wes Anderson movie, I almost don't question it just because it's, it's part and parcel yeah. with what he does. So basically the movie is broken into three, three stories. The entire basis is that um, the editor of the newspaper, the French Dispatch, who's played by Bill Murray, dies. And according to his wishes, um, or the final newspaper is published. So in the first one, um, which is written by the character who's played by Tilda Swinton, it's about this artist who's in jail, who makes art while he's in prison and becomes this like celebrated artist and kind of the journey that takes him on. And like that bizarre moment for me in that one was when it like cuts to that shot of Leah Sado just like naked, like posing. And I just was like, 
what a bizarre moment, like in any other context, but in the midst of this like Wes Anderson, you know, uh, whimsy journey, like it just made total sense to me. And, and additionally yeah. to that, I think something that really worked for me was the interplay of black and white and color. Like there's something about that that lended yeah. uh, tone yeah. and setting. And I think you're right, like talking about the the animation and that it all not only did it all align with this idea of this being this almost like New Yorker-esque publication, but it also it worked to the time and worked in a way to make these. I don't want to like I don't I don't think of Wes Anderson creating characters who are caricatures but they are i feel like he writes normal people but then gives them like one or two like quirks that just it's like the the radio's off just like a little bit on them and i think yeah. that really shines in this film because i think like really um and you know obviously we'll get to timothy but like one of my favorite performances in the movie was tilda swinton which i was talking to somebody who was like tilda swinton was just clearly like writing her own shit like she was just going off the wall like she i it almost feels like he yeah. just like let her come in and do her own thing but that was just one to me that like i i just adored that performance yeah i i, I really like I, I i think there are some performances in this that are really exceptional i think tilda swinton is so in tune with Wes Anderson and his style. I think, you know, that's why she's going to be in every Wes Anderson film from here. I mean, I know she's in Asteroid City, like his next film that I think they just finished shooting with Tom Hanks in it, of all people. That's going to be exciting. But yeah, but like, I thought to me, the standout in this film was Jeffrey Wright. After the first second, I was like, he's a perfect actor for a Wes Anderson film. Like, he just gets it and he's so good. And he brings so much, like, so much humanity and so much, like, sadness to that role. And to me, that's what this entire film is about. Like, this whole film is like a rumination on, like, loneliness. Like, every character in this film in every segment, that's really what they're dealing with. Like, you've got, you know, even, like, the Bill Murray character, who sort of is, is the whole story sort of revolves around, has this, like, innate sort of loneliness to his character. Even, you know, he's all about his writers, but yet he's also somewhat alone. And it's like, I don't know, I found that really interesting because I, I, I think Wes Anderson handled that in a really interesting way. And Jeffrey Wright, to me, was just the perfect distillation of that in that scene. And I also think, on the whole, that's probably my favorite piece of the anthology. I mean, that is the old anthology trick. You save the best for last. And so it's not surprising that they did that. But I do think that one to me, not only I think is it mo it's the it's the most maybe adventurous of his of the segments, but I also think it's maybe the most emotional of the segments, and also, um, you know, just really kind of the most all around like in terms of like engaging all of the senses. I think that that segment does it above all of the others, thanks in large part to Jeffrey Wright. But but there are other great performances too. Like I mean, Benicio del Toro I was like, how has he not been in a Wes Anderson film before? Like this is crazy. <laughs> And and you see these great little you know, so you see these great actors pop up too, like, you know, like um in the first segment with Benicio del Toro, like Henry Winkler is in a Wes Anderson film. And then you see like um in the uh Timothy Chalmette piece, Christoph Waltz is in this film for thirty seconds. <laughs> Literally thirty seconds. And 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 once we get into the critiques of the film, we might get into a little bit more of that. But um but yeah, no, I, I think I think he gets some really great performances in this film. And it's, it, you know, we talk about Wes Anderson and his films being so great, but we don't always talk about how great the performances are. And I feel like his films get overlooked a lot in that regard, like Gene Hackman for Royal Tenenbaums or Ray Fiennes for Grand Budapest Hotel, which are both performances I think could have easily been nominated for Oscars. And so I really hope Jeffrey Wright doesn't get overlooked this year for, like, supporting, because I think I think he does a really 
really terrific job. Yeah, he he's definitely my favorite performance in the movie, and that that is my favorite segment as well. And and it's funny, like some some of the reason I enjoyed it so much was almost extra filmic because having just seen No Time to Die and seeing Christoph Waltz and Jeffrey yeah. Wright and Leah Seydoux all show up was just like this, like, oh, yeah. like I just saw you in this completely different movie where you're doing completely different things. And then here you get to go like play in Wes Anderson world was just so charming. And yeah, I think that last segment, it has like the emotional weight. It has like the action. It has kind of the most kind of ups and downs and the biggest emotional arc. So I think it's, you're right. It, like saving the best for last. It's really this like, emotional journey and it's also probably the one and, and i'd love to hear any any critiques you have um as well but like i think when you, it comes to these like brief 30 second cameos or what have you like that's the one where those work the best like when sir Ronan just like shows up as like yeah. a prostitute yeah. like it just it just it works in that way um yeah i i really loved that last one and like, you just you can't deny the like emotional punchline of you know having Bill Murray's character tell Jeffrey Wright's character to like insert that segment in about the chef tasting poison and how he had like it just it had such like an unexpected turn because you know this whole time it's like this kooky or you know someone's kidnapped and they're rescuing him and then they're going to send the chef in and then it ends on this like surprisingly really emotionally resonant moment and especially knowing that uh, the Bill Murray character is about to die it just like takes on this I don't want to even say heaviness because it's not that it's like it doesn't like bowl you over. It just, it, it, it ties in this emotional revenance that you kind of during this like very farcical, crazy segment, like actually has this emotional payoff you weren't expecting. You know, I've said this for a while. Like I'm a, I am a big Bill Murray fan, but I think Bill Murray is only ever as good as who he's sharing a scene with. I think if he's, it, you can just tell when he's checked out and when he's not, when he's not giving it anything and his and Bill Murray has two really beautiful scenes in this movie, and they're both with Jeffrey Wright. Mm -hmm. And one of them's at the jail cell where he comes to like bail him out, and it's this really quiet moment, understated moment. It's mostly Bill Murray, but then the other one is when he's finished the story and they're talking together about the piece, and like, and those are and those are and those uh, those are two great examples of when Jeffrey Wright's just flawless, but he's bringing Bill Murray up too. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, not that Bill Murray needs bringing up, but you can just tell Bill Murray's engaged. Because he's able to get engaged with Jeffrey Wright in a way that maybe he can't, you know, with some other actors. And, um, you know, if I had one critique of the film, and, you know, having now, I've now seen this twice. So I've now seen it twice. It kind of is currently sort of in like the five or six slot in sort of my Wes Anderson list. Uh, but keeping in mind, like, my top like seven Wes Anderson films. I mean, they're all like four, four and a half star films. So like the separation there is really tiny. Right. If I had one complaint with this, it would be that I do think there are some times when the casting is distracting. When you just don't need it. Like Christoph Waltz is a great example. I love Christoph Waltz. There's no reason in the world for this throwaway role that has two lines and 30 seconds of screen time to be played by Christoph Waltz. Yeah. And I get the argument, well, why wouldn't you get the best actor possible to play that? And I understand that. But it's it's almost distracting because all I thought about for like 30 seconds was like, oh, this is Christoph Waltz. What's he going to do in the film? What's this character going to be? And by the time I like and then all of a sudden he's gone and you're like, oh, he, I guess he's just done. Yeah. So that was an example of that. I would also I would also say the same thing about Edward Norton, even though I know Edward Norton is a Wes Anderson guy and isn't all this stuff. But, you know, also seemed like that that was a little off to me, too, even though I knew that's what was going to happen. I knew he was going to be in there. 
that would be my that would really be my big complaint would be just some of the casting in there. Just not that I thought the people were bad. I know that that's the Wes Anderson thing, and I like that is that he just crams it with like a list stars. Like his next film's got Tom Hanks and uh, Scarlett Johansson, and like I mean, it's just ridiculously packed. Yeah. So I get that that's part of it, and that's part of why I love Wes Anderson. It just seemed with this film, with like the anthology nature and like the way they were doing it, it. It almost would have been interesting to see, like, what would have happened if you would have had, like, the same actors play different characters in the different segments. Like, that's something I thought about, too. It's like, that would have been interesting to see what you could have done there. Again, I don't know that that would have fit with what Wes Anderson does, necessarily, because mm-hmm. everybody is somewhat deadpan in his films. So, like, how do you deviate that from segment to segment? Right. Um, I would say, weirdly, I would say Timothy Chalamet is the least deadpan probably of the people in the movie yeah but yeah no that would be my big my only sort of real complaint there you know i thought the soundtrack was flawless Mm -hmm. i love the soundtrack that he got jarvis cocker to record that song at the end which sounds so much like a 1960s sort of french ballad like it i didn't know who the hell it was i heard that and i was like well i've got to i've got to find out who sang (laughs) this and then become obsessed with him and i was like jarvis cocker like (laughs) okay like i like pulp but i didn't know that (laughs) So yeah, I that was that was a, that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, no, I I don't have like, God, I feel like this is gonna sound so like nose in the air of me, but it's just, it's just really always how I felt about Wes Anderson is, you know, I had I had a teacher in high school who uh, I was in show choir and we would go to these competitions and we would see other show choirs perform and there was this time where like there was just a show that didn't vibe with me and like I'm like okay like they were good but like that show was whatever. And my director told me, well, when somebody does something really, really well, even if you don't personally like it, you can't tell, you can't say that they're not good at what they're doing. And I've always applied that to Wes Anderson, like seeing Moonrise Kingdom, seeing, and Royal Tenenbaum's probably the one that like transcends that for me. Like I would probably rewatch Royal Tenenbaum's no matter what, but coming out of Moonrise Kingdom, I'm like, you know what? I can acknowledge that like something is really, really great and also not for me. And that's genuinely how I feel coming out of most, most Wes Anderson films. So my really only critique is just, that the the twee um, kind of whimsy dollhouse aesthetic that he is known for and what people love him for just does not personally work for me. But while I'm sitting there, I do find myself wrapped up in it and I do find myself enjoying lots of things about it. I just never have that like rewatchability that I, I you know, I don't want to go see it again necessarily. Like if it's on, like I'd be happy to watch it. But like, I, I you know, coming out of the French Dispatch, I wasn't like, oh my God, I need to see it again. Um, but yeah, that, that would really be my only critique. Otherwise I thought, like I said, like I thought the anthology part really worked really well, Thought a lot of the performances were really great. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it and, you know, we'll, we'll get into ratings later, but, um, as far as Wes Anderson goes, it was, it was the most fun that I probably could have had seeing the movie. I I understand the whole, like not rewatching thing. And I'll be honest, I don't rewatch a lot of Wes Anderson. There are a few titles that I will rewatch more than others, like, like Rushmore, like Royal Tenenbaums. Fantastic Mr. Fox is one that I can throw on just about any time. Then there are some, like, as much as I love Grand Budapest, and I saw it so many times in the theaters, I don't need to watch Grand Budapest again. Like, I, I will, I'm sure, down the road, but I don't need to rewatch that again. Darjeeling Limited, I actually love it a lot more than other people do. I think it's maybe his most, no, it's not his most underrated film, because my favorite Wes Anderson film is Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And so I think that's his most underrated film. But Darjeeling Limited's underrated, too, and I think, but that's one I don't need to watch again. Like, I don't need to see Darjeeling Limited again. I, I, I have, a, it's enough in my head, and I listen to the soundtrack enough where I'm covered. 
Well, kind of leading into this discussion of like, you know, Timothy's role, I think it's really interesting to talk about, you know, Wes Anderson as this um, kind of auteur who creates these ensemble casts and creates a whole vibe. And it's so interesting to think about how he has like these, you know, assorted players who come back time and time again, you know, the Bill Murrays, the Tilda Swintons, um, et cetera. Timothy's casting in that seems so apropos to me. Um, and I know that like Wes Anderson has said, like, you know, I wrote this role with Timothy in mind, like you look at him and he just like looks like he's supposed to come out of the French New Wave. So not only does he work in the context of this film, but I think he works as a Wes Anderson player because he has that unique aesthetic. He has that like art boy, you know, liberal art cool boyfriend feel. Um, and, you know, obviously, like as the photos of him and this came out, like with the crazy hair and the jacket and the student revolutionary thing, like. He just fits so well. And I think as, you know, and Timothy's done ensemble pieces, like, you know, and he's played really great supporting characters. He, you know, he's got great supporting turns in movies like Lady Bird and Little Women, but I wouldn't call those necessarily yeah. like ensemble films, even though they've got large yeah. cast and this is very much an ensemble film. Um, so I think his casting makes a lot of sense here. I think kind of coming out of doing some lead roles, um, playing with genre here and there. I think obviously like as he was a younger working actor, he probably played with genre a bit more just because he was taking what he could get. But now that he's kind of entered the stratosphere as like, you know, a movie star, it's more about like kind of the more dramatic roles. Like he doesn't, he doesn't take a lot of like light films. Um, and not to say that French Dispatch isn't light. I'd say actually it's probably one of his lighter movies, especially recently. I think his choice to take a step back and, you know, he's got like a pretty good supporting role, but it's a supporting role um, in a movie that has sure. a lot of flashier, bigger parts, I would say. Um, but I think his, his, his fitting into it makes perfect sense. Like, I think like you were saying, like he just, he makes sense as part of Wes Anderson's ensemble. Yeah. I think if you're Wes Anderson and this is the character that you've written, like, and you're thinking like, knowing how Wes Anderson casts and the types of actors that he casts, who else are you going to cast? Like, you're going to cast Timothy Chalamet. Like, that's who you're going to go after if you're Wes Anderson. And, you know, I think, I think my, my biggest disappointment with his casting is only that he doesn't get to really mix it up with a lot of actors that you really want to see him mix it up with. Like, I want to see Timothy Chalamet and Bill Murray in a, in a scene together. I want to see Timothy Chalamet and Jeffrey Wright in a scene together. Like, like I want, but, he gets Francis McDormand. You can't really ask for much better than that. And they have a lovely scene, like that scene between them in the bedroom after they've just had sex for the first time, mm -hmm. which is just such a delightful scene. And I think it's, I think, and he's so good in that scene too. Like watching, like just watching like sort of that, the youthful angst and like, like frustration, like, and just the way he like sort of carries that on screen is so nice in that scene. I mean, he just looks, I mean, he just looks so much the part, like the way they've got him with the hair and the little mustache. And like, it's just, it's just absolutely, it's just precious is what it is. Yeah. It's absolutely precious. Like you, you understand why Francis McDormand wants to take him and, you know, ride him around the rodeo rink for a few hours. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about the, the very real trifecta of Lucas Hedges, Tom Holland and Timothy Chalamet, like he is just so like crystally clear cut for this role as opposed to those other guys. Because as much as I love them, you know, if you see Tom Holland in bed with Francis McDormand, you're focused on the muscles, you're focused on his kind of like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like his almost his Peter Parker manicness. And I think Timothy brings this like grounded, um, you know, much more 
not to say, I mean, Tom Holland's given emotionally heartfelt performances, but I just, I see Timothy in that world a lot better. Well, don't undersell him though. Remember, he's got those new muscles. That's true. Yeah. As he says, he's got those new muscles. I cannot believe, like going back to what I was saying about Dune and Friends Dispatch coming out the same weekend. I can't believe we had two movies with in-jokes about Timothy Chalamet's non-existent new muscles. I just, I... Yes, I want to. I want to be on the the Zoom call where Denis Villeneuve and Wes Anderson decided to both uh, to both go with that joke in the script process. I would say too, like I can see Lucas Hedges in a Wes Anderson film, but not this one. Yeah, like I can definitely see him working in a Wes Anderson. I don't really see Tom Holland working in a Wes Anderson film, but um, but I love Tom Holland. But um, but you know, yeah, this just what I mean. This was yeah, this was just a perfect role for 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 Chalamet. Perfect role for him. And and that segment, it's not my favorite segment. The Jeffrey Wright segment is my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's probably my second favorite segment. And my favorite use of a song in the film, and it's when, towards the end, Timothy Chalamet, um, and, oh, God, what's her name? Uh, Lena Cowdery. Yeah. Uh, where they're riding on the motorcycle. It's that, like, the blast of red, that music playing. Like, it's just a beautiful, like, that's the standout scene from the movie to me. That's, like... That's like all of what Wes Anderson does and like all of his inspirations in one like 10 second sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's definitely my favorite shot of the film. And um, but I like that sequence. I mean, I like that sequence a lot. That sequence to me definitely feels like, you know, all of these segments are sort of based on these sort of old articles to some degree from like the New Yorker and places like that. Th- that that segment to me definitely feels like that kind of article, too. Billy Ray, did you know that Lucas Hedges is in not one but two Wes Anderson movies? Oh, you know what? That's right. He's in Moonrise Kingdom. And he's in Grand Pedalist. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. I completely forgot about I did, too. No, we were just talking about it, and for some reason— That makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it popped into my head. I was thinking, okay, like, where does Lucas Hedges work? And I'm like, oh, he would absolutely work as, like, one of the boys at the camp. And I'm like, I think he was one of the boys in the camp at Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> Well, this also takes us to another conversation about how I feel like Timothy Chalamet and Lucas Hedges are are constantly trying to, like, one-up each other. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, not just Lady Bird, but like, oh, let's make them, let's each make movies about drug addiction. And, uh, let, oh, it's like, oh, you're going to be in Wes Anderson films? I'll be in a Wes Anderson film. Right. So that's interesting to me. I mean, obviously, I don't think they're rivals in any sense of the word, uh, but it, it certainly feels like there's a fun little back and forth going there. Oh, absolutely. I think there was like a joke tweet that made the rounds on the internet a couple years ago that was like, A24 just keeps Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet like locked up in the basement fighting for roles until one of them comes out alive, (laughs) which, yeah, totally makes sense. Well, I mean, the difference being that Timothy Chalamet is now, you know, leading big blockbusters like Dune and Willy Wonka. Lucas Hedges has not gotten to the lead a blockbuster level yet. No. And I don't know that, I'm not sure... It'd have to be a really interesting blockbuster for Lucas Hedges to lead it. Yeah. I think he's good in those, like, sort of character role. Like, I just don't think he's quite the leading man type. Yeah, no, I much prefer, I mean, I'm thinking about, like, I think he's great and let them all talk. Like, I think that he, like, having him, like, be moody on yeah. a boat with Meryl Streep and Candace Berg, like, that is where he belongs. Like, he needs to be doing that. Yeah. And that's what's interesting to me about, and, and we can kind of, you know, use this as a, as a way to start talking about Timothy's performance specifically, but it really, it really is interesting to me that as he continues to grow in popularity and become more of a movie star, more of a personality, he is doing these bigger movies. Like, yes, he is doing Wonka. Like, you know, obviously he did Dune, but he's not going for like the Marvel or the Star Wars or like the Disney tentpoles. He's going for 
this really risky sci-fi epic directed by an auteur actor. Yeah. And like, even though Wonka is probably going to be like his most mainstream film that he's now going to lead, it's still directed by Paul King, someone who is absolutely revered for doing two Paddington movies. Like, it's not like he's yeah. all of a sudden signing up for like Tower of Terror directed by Taika Waititi, which for the record, I'd be fine with. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's a much different vibe. I think I am most ready to see him tackle a horror film. Mm -hmm. I want to see little Timmy Chalamet in a horror flick. <laughs> Like that, that's what I would like to see. But no, I think his, I, I think his performance in this, I think, again, I, I think it's just the right sweet spot for him. Like, I think it's, ex I think it's something that he does really well. Like he, he plays that sort of like nervous and like, but also like, like secretly sexy teen angst thing really well, like in Little Women and like, uh, he just does that really well. And I think that this is just tailor made for him. And, you know, it's not it's not enough of a role or enough of a performance for there to really be any sort of discernible arc for the character. But also, I don't think Wes Anderson cares about that in no. this film. Like, I don't think he's looking I don't think his character ha characters necessarily have arcs. I just think the emotions that the audience is feeling have those arcs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what sort of makes this film work. Um, so judging his performance is a little tricky in this film because of that. But that said, like he's with Francis McDormand for most of the film. And so the two of them together, great. Like they're, they're fantastic. Francis McDormand, who of course played Lucas Pidge's mother in a film. Another one up for Lucas there. Um, they just have a nice little chemistry together. Like Timothy Chalamet is sort of doing his thing, which is not quite the sort of staccato Wes Anderson thing, but that's exactly what Francis McDormand is doing. And it just works. Like, their chemistry works together. I really liked your point that he, I think you said, like, Timothy's kind of being, like, the most earnest performer in the movie to a degree. And, I mean, I guess aside from Jeffrey Wright, because I think Jeffrey Wright obviously really threads that needle between, like, the Wes Anderson dialogue and the emotion. But if everyone else is kind of divided in this sea of, like, doing a Wes Anderson vibe versus, like, kind of going above and beyond that to create something different, I think Timothy is doing that, or you're especially in that scene uh, in bed with Francis McDormand because he I can't remember exactly what he says but he has like this very like wall coming down moment where I think he compliments like her beauty or something and it's just it's so moving and so emotional and I, th there, there's one little moment there's one little thing that he does too which is so subtle but it's I don't even remember exactly what she says but she makes a comment to him and he gets frustrated and the way he vocalizes that frustration is just it, it doesn't even it's wordless it's just sort of like a and it's just like this weird little thing he does with his shoulders and it was just like it felt so like natural and so like exactly what a kid that age under those circumstances how they would react to something like that and that was actually one of the moments i took away from even though it's a, a fleeting moment in the film and um yeah yeah i just it's, and, and, but not but not even just that like um like that that to me that film has the most in terms of production uh, production design and in terms of like the tricks that they're doing like they're moving away mm -hmm. walls and they're opening up things and like so there's a lot more complexity to it in that regard than there is anything else and so it would be easy for that to sort of overwhelm the story and like become the focal point and it doesn't and i think that's and i think that's you can credit that to the actors too i think they're able to sort of like create what they're creating in the midst of all this like you know, production design chaos that's going on around them. Yeah, totally. And I think that's that's a really solid point, given that, yeah, I think that's, that segment has the most kinetic energy because it is about these student revolutionaries and it's about kind of the youth culture 
and it should have the most kind of movement and chaos. And, you know, obviously leading into the ending of the segment where uh, Zeffirelli ends up dying and then kind of his like effigy becoming this, you know, movement for the revolution. I, I can't think of another actor who can play all that and then have their face and their wild hair become like the symbol of the French. Like, it, I think it's just all um, not to say not to reduce it all down to vibes, but like that is just the vibe that Timothy Chalamet brings. Um, he can do those emotional beats. He can do the really interesting physical acting that you were talking about for me. Um, and I swear it's not just because he's naked in the scene, but like thinking about him, like jumping out of the tub and like running his manifesto over to Francis McDormand. Like there's just seeing such... that skinny little naked ass. <laughs> you know, it looks a little more full than it did in call me by your name. So I think that, you know, I think that's his, fair. His, his trainer knows he's, he's got to bulk up somehow as, as best as he can. I, I remember when he was announced in Dune, or even like going into the king, I'm just like biologically and physically, there is only so much muscle you can put on that body. There's an absolutely no way. <laughs> well, so you mentioned that. So now that you've mentioned it, I do have to comment. So in sort of the totality of Timothy Chalamet, the one thing that I just can't get behind with Timothy Chalamet is when he gets cast in roles in which I think he is impossibly miscasting. Mm -hmm. And I think The King was a perfect example of that. Interesting. I just, I just did not buy him in that role for a second. Like, because he, you know, he still looks 16. Mm -hmm. The kid looks 16. And, and it's just, buying him as an authority figure in any way, even though he doesn't start out that way in The King, but like when he's, when he, later in the film when he's like trying to be commanding and like all this stuff, just, I just couldn't buy it. All I kept seeing was like, 16 year old Timothy Chalamet on screen and that happens every now and again where people will cast him in something like that and it's like uh and I haven't seen Dune yet I'm gonna go see Dune tomorrow actually okay. so I'll, I'll it'll be interesting to see how how I feel about that um but but that would be that's one of my biggest issues with him as an actor is just it's like his issue really it's the fact that he gets cast in things where I'm like eh, I don't know that you should have cast him yeah no that's, I, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on Dune because I, I mentioned in our Dune episode it felt to me like the king was almost his audition for Dune. Like, can you get the suit of armor on and can you walk around in it? Like, it, I felt like they, he just needed to be able to prove that whether successfully or not. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really curious to hear uh, your thoughts on Dune once you see it. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and jump into the peach rating. So, oh, so to give a little context, Billy Ray, in case you don't know, we we discuss uh, and rate on a one to five peaches scale. Um, you know. Guests have come in and made the peaches their own. Um, we can do half a peach. We can do negative peaches. The precedent has been set for a sixth peach that we've called um, the honorary Emma Thompson and Love Actually peach because it was applied to her performance in that movie uh, when we did a special Love Actually episode with our friends across the pond at the Torn Stubs podcast. So if you would like oh. to invoke the, the honorary Emma Thompson sixth peach, you may. Totally up to you if you want to make it your own. All good. We, we've definitely crashed the system when it comes to the peaches rating so oh i like this because i i believe in i believe in no rules <laughs> uh, i've listened to screen drafts i i do know i that. believe in anarchy <laughs> all right so one to five peaches when it comes to the film um I, i'll start out um like i've said i've made it no secret that wes anderson's style isn't always for me that being said i really enjoyed this movie i think kind of extra filmically you know, being able to see this and Dune in the same weekend, being with all of my friends again, which only happens so often now in our pandemic reality, just there's just going into a movie theater, 
having a having a bourbon and seeing a movie with all your friends like there's just no way that's gonna be and sitting next to me and sitting next to will like there's just no way that's gonna be a bad experience but that being said i really enjoyed the movie like i said the anthology (laughs) of it really worked for me um i thought there was just a lot of variety Uh, i thought it let performances kind of exist um in a shorter segment and then there wasn't kind of this like long drawn out um, almost tweeness that didn't work for me as the whole movie went on. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it's a four peach, four out of five peaches for me. I, I really enjoyed the French dispatch. I, even though this is so not a movie that I would normally enjoy. Um, so Billy Ray, what say you, I want to hear your peach rating. I will give, I will say four peaches for me okay. and I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of say why it's four and not higher for me because my favorite thing about Wes Anderson as a filmmaker and my favorite thing about his films is his ability to sort of balance raw emotion and he's the master at sort of turning on a dime from like this whimsical funny moment to something that's like heartbreaking and he does it in royal tenenbaums with like ben stiller's like it's been a rough year pop he does it in life aquatic with that scene in the submarine that makes me weep like a baby every time darjeeling limited he does it with the funeral for the child who drowns like he does it in grand budapest hotel in that one brief moment at the end of the movie with ray fines walking out with the soul like he finds those ways to do it and he i there just weren't enough of those moments in this film for me to rank it a little bit higher there were a couple of those moments like there's this one brief moment in the timothy chalamet sequence where it cuts to his parents riding in this car and just angelica houston's narration where i got a little choked up because of the way it was handled and then jeffrey wright has a couple of moments too but there just weren't enough for me to sort of ramp it up to like you know like life aquatic world tenenbaums rushmore those are like five those are five peach movies for me. <laughs> Grand Budapest, Fantastic Mr. Fox, probably four and a half. Darjeeling, you know, this I put in the same level for me as Darjeeling, which would be around the four spot. Got it. Well, nothing nothing uh, disrespectful about four peaches. A perfectly, perfectly great rating. Going next to Timmy's performance, one to five peaches. You know, I was I was waffling a bit on this one, not because I had any real critiques about his performance, but as as great as he is, and, you know, we talked about that moment of him uh, in bed with Francis McDormand. He's got a lot of really great physical acting he does. I just, I didn't, like you were saying about those emotional moments, I didn't have one of those that really bowled me over. And maybe if the, the Jeffrey Wright one hadn't come later, I would have had more of an attachment to the one with Francis McDormand in the bedroom. Um, but because of that, I'm going to go ahead and do four and a half peaches on the performance, just because... I would have loved just a little bit more of an emotional kind of um, button on the end of something. But I think just by the nature of the anthology of it all and knowing that obviously, like we said, Wes was going to end, you know, save the best for last. That was never going to happen. But he's still really great. He brings that, you know, kinetic French Revolution energy um, four and a half peaches for me when it comes to performance. Yeah, I, I, it's hard because it's like it's not like his character gets this huge arc, but none of the characters really do. And so I can't really fault I can't really fault him for that, and I get and I I agree entirely about the emotional beats, but again I'm like I don't know that I can fault him for that. I feel like maybe that what that's just the character and the way that script was written. Um, but I still have to when when you're when you're in the same company as like Jeffrey Wright doing what he's doing, and Benicio del Toro and like Tilda Swinton like. It does seem noticeable when you're... So I'm actually going four. Okay. I'm going to go four only because I... And I don't I don't necessarily blame him for that. Like, I and I don't necessarily think it's a bad... It's not a bad thing, 
It's just, I think it would definitely keep me from like, you know, if you said Jeffrey Wright, I'd be giving him that, that damn six, that Emma Thompson <laughs> six. Of like, course. You know, Benicio Del Toro would be a five for me. I'll give, t- I'll give, I'll give Timmy a four. I'm going to give him a four on the performance. And I think, I think that's fair. I think he's there to be a four performance. I think that yeah. if he was trying any harder and going for going big to be big, I think it would absolutely plummet. So I think, I think yeah. four is exactly what he needed to do in that range. Exactly. All right. Coming to his attractiveness. I think I'm going to go with another four because just come out of Dune where I was just bowled over by how goddamn hot he looked. And that that look just was more for me. And as much as I love, you know, the tweed jackets and the crazy hair and the, you know, all the the French, the Frenchness of it all, um, it looks great on him. You know, like I said, it's a solid four. It just, for me, coming out of Dune, I was a little bit like, all right, you know what? There are the people who go to, to, to Timmy Dune and people who go to French Dispatch I'm a Timmy Dune, so, you know, he's hot. He's hot as ever. The bone structure continues to be fantastic. But, um, yeah, so four peaches for me when it comes to attractiveness. This was definitely more my type of look. Okay. With, like, the wild hair, the the, the pathetic little mustache, <laughs> like, the, that scrawny bear ass skipping across the floor. I'm going to go five peaches on this Ooh. one. Um, it right. was de- it, I, I definitely found him to be more visually pe- appealing in this than I have in some other films. Not more so than Little Women, mm. but but more so than some other films. So I'll be interested to see how I feel after Dune. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think this is a movie that is very devoid of eye candy. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is not, uh, you know, this is not, Wes Anderson films aren't known for their, like, overly attractive actors so when you have one in there it really stands out and and that that stood out to me in this one for sure that's so true i never thought about it in that way because you know there are these movies where he puts people in like garish you know i think about like tilda swinton in grand budapest yeah. where she's like totally made up to look super and even in this movie she's got like the ridiculous wig and like those have got to be some false teeth that she has yeah but yeah it, it, looking at all his movies like you know, I was, I'm thinking about now, like, Gwyneth Paltrow and Royal Tenenbaums, like, she's definitely, like, dowdy down and, like, made to look much more average. So he's, yeah, he's not somebody who puts, like, stunners in his movie. And it's, it, it is interesting to think about it in that context of, like, is Timothy Chalamet the most attractive? I'm not, like, maybe not outside of the film, maybe someone's more attractive, but, like, on screen, like, he might be the best looking Wes Anderson character ever. Think of another actor in a Wes Anderson movie who is more attractive than him. Yeah. And I'm going, I'm scanning through all of them in my head right now. And I, I just can't think of one like, because yeah. Wes Anderson gravitates towards unusual looking people yeah. like, and not, and I'm not saying ugly or bad looking, but like, you, you know, I think back of like Tony Revolori and like mm-hmm. Grand Budapest. And he's also in this film, like very unusual looking guy. And like, and he gravitates towards that. I mean, you know, Adrian Brody is an unusual looking guy and he casts him in everything, you know, any too, too good effect. Like I think mm-hmm. Wes Anderson, he does his best work with Wes Anderson. Um, like Owen Wilson, like he just finds these like unconventionally attractive people. And, but Timothy Chalamet is someone he put in there. Who's like not conventionally attractive, just hot. Yeah. Like, yeah. like he's just a hot guy. Yeah. He's a hot guy who like happens to look like, you know, like he came off of like, uh, New England, like, 
college campus, like with his nose oh, yeah. and like a, a book. Like he just, he, you know, it's like one of those, like, you know, what's like the typical, like, you know, overused cliche, like script description of a character where it's like, oh, he's hot, but he doesn't know it yet. Yeah. Like that's like very much his vibe. And I think that's what he brings. He also looks like his, his character, this looks like it could have crawled out of a Tim Burton movie too. Absolutely. Like with that wild hair and like everything is like, it has this Tim Burton quality to it, which is really interesting too, because you could absolutely see Timothy Chalamet. Well, back when Tim Burton was worth a damn, but um, yeah. you could absolutely see Tim Timothy Chalamet in like a, a Tim Burton film to some degree. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, but so yeah, I I I I dug I dug, I dug his look in this. I was like, yeah, I'm down for this. I'll smack that little wet scrawny ass running across the floor. <laughs> well, getting getting into hair, yeah, the hair for me, it it didn't totally work. Um, again, and that's just personal taste. Sure. The Dune hair for me was five out of five out of this world just because I like a little bit more in the face. I like it a little down. Um, and, to you know, obviously in, in the, the aesthetic for this character was like, you know, the curls are up and back. Like he just looked like he, you know, put his finger in a, in a socket a la Tim Burton. So, you know, I totally get the look. And I think there were a couple of times where like either like when it was like up in the towel, when it was wet or when he was in bed. Uh, with Francis McDormand when like it was a little more tame and down that I really vibed with it but the kind of crazy static I'll call it like the Zeffirelli hair um, overall wasn't my favorite um, I'll go with three and a half just because the hair just it you know it 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 defies the peach scale in a lot of ways like it's gonna it's gonna be you know it's like pizza it's gonna be good no matter what no no matter how bad it is for me the hair spent a little bit too much time being too up but it sounds like from what you're saying uh, the hair also really worked for you. I'm gonna say that I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a special uh, five peaches and eye cream. <laughs> That's gonna be my ranking for this. No, I was a big fan of the hair. Yeah, I th- I I really liked it. I thought it worked well on him uh, in the film, and I I do think it helped create that character to some degree. Like this I, that idea of just like the wild hair on this kid, and like and so like I liked the whole like finger in the socket. <laughs> Bride yeah. of Frankenstein esque. Like I, I was I was definitely on board for that. Totally. I mean, I think his best hair has been Little Women. Mm-hmm. I think that to me is like the best his hair has ever looked. I would put French Dispatch in a close second because I just it was an an orthodox hairstyle that worked for me. Well, like I said, I'm very excited for you to see Dune to see if we kind of uh swing in our different ways where I'm a little bit more on the Dune side of Timmy's, uh, Timmy's attractiveness and hair, and you're solidly in the French dispatch, uh, lane, but I'm sure you'll still find plenty to like in it. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm excited about Dune. I, 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 I wasn't, I haven't necessarily been excited until recently, but I'm just like, I think I've kind of just warmed up to the idea of it. Okay. So tell me, this is just something I mean, I've always, I've always wondered, I've always wanted Timothy Chalamet to do a particular remake. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because I've always thought he would make one hell of a good Eric Draven in a Crow remake. Ooh, okay, well, uh, I've not seen The Crow, so that is a that is a, uh, a shortcoming of mine. Is that the character played by... Um, Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee, yeah. So, so I kind yeah. of just know the, like, aesthetic, because I've obviously seen, like, the photos and everything. And just based on that, I mean, I'm not going to say no to that to that look. Yeah, I want. I, I yeah, I want to. I want to see him go full goth. I, when you when you brought up the wanting to see him in a horror movie, knowing his kind of 
yeah, I'll do a, a genre of movie or I'll do a whatever, but it, there's got to be like a like an artsy or an, in, an indie vibe. I immediately went to like, I could see him doing like an Ari Aster type type horror film. I think that would kind of be like in his in his wheelhouse. Yeah, I don't see him doing like a James Wan film. No, 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 no. No offense. I mean, I love James Wan. No offense to James Wan. But no, I think it would be, I mean, it's going to be an A24 filmmaker for sure. Totally. Well, Billy Ray, thank you so, so much for joining us for Chasing It was my Shalom. pleasure. It was my so pleasure. So nice to make room for us in your, your busy schedule as you as you make it across the country. Um, obviously, I you alluded or you talked about, um, you know, $3 Bill Cinema and all these great things that you do. But um, is there anything else you would like to promote while you're here? $3 Bill Cinema is sort of the main thing right now. Scripts Gone Wild, I do, but we're kind of on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, we'll start live shows again next year in 2022 once we're a little more reasonably safe about you know everything and movies with gravy my podcast has been on a on a little bit of a hiatus but we'll start that back up soon too but no otherwise you know it's just i'll get those things cranking up again fairly well you know i'll be on i'm sure i'll be on screen drafts again pretty <laughs> soon doing something i tend i tend i tend to be and uh is there anywhere you want people to find you on the internet if they so desire oh sure you can find me on all the socials at Billy Ray Bruton. Uh, you also find Scripts Gone Wild at Scripts Gone Wild. I'm not really creative with my social media names. It's all just exactly what you would think it would be. Totally. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Dane McDonald. Uh, the show is on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, we are Chalamet Chasing. And on Instagram, we are Chasing Chalamet. Uh, you can email us at chasingchalamet at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, please consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends, your family members, anyone who might want to hear us drone on and on about Timothy Howe Chalamet. Chasing Chalamet is written, hosted, and produced by me, Dane McDonald. The show is also produced and edited by Will Bybee. Our theme music is by Jacob Horn. You can hear more from him and his band, the Jacob Horn Trio, on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp. Our cover art was designed by Jessica Deal. You can find more of her work at jessicadeal.com. Deal is spelled D-E-A-H-L. And until next time, later. <laughs>